Hello and welcome to the podcast for the December issue of The Lancet Oncology, this time online a bit earlier than usual. My name is Marcia and today we have Professor Annie Young from Warwick Medical School in the UK and Dr. Julia Chaloner from the School of Nursing of the University of California, San Francisco in the USA. They are here to talk about the two paper series they wrote with their colleagues on oncology nursing in celebration of 2020, which was designated the first international year of the nurse and the midwife by the World Health Organization. Annie and Julia, welcome both, and thank you for agreeing to speak to us. Annie, I would like to start with you first. 2020 was designated as the year of the nurse. Do you think this is a recognition of the important contribution of this workforce to the healthcare systems? Ah, Marcia, thank you. First, you thank you for the opportunity of doing the series in the Lancet Oncology and also um, for this podcast. It's just great. So for absolute sure, for certain, I think that the contribution of the nurse is huge throughout the world and maybe maybe somewhat hidden or under-recognized, but 2020 and International Year of the Nurse has really, really helped that. So, of course, it's the 200th anniversary of Florence and Nightingale and we want to celebrate through nursing throughout the, war, the world and we're doing that in oncology nursing in the Lancet Oncology series but what, what a year, what a year we started um, the, the year of the nurse started with nursing now and that was to raise the profile of nurses globally and that was at and it was picked up at WHO level and there could not be a more relevant year for year of the nurse I think the public in 2020, I think the public value nurses and I think they understand what nurses do better since the pandemic. So I I believe that the contribution is huge. Nurses are highly respected and trusted in many parts of the world but in others in in particular in low and middle income countries their nurses are treated as less important. So let's help that with year of the nurse. I think we all feel it, we all witness it, and we now need to shout about the contribution um, that nurses make. And we're shouting through the Lancet Oncology about oncology nurses. So we including this is including writing about it or case studies or stories as well. So so the contribution of the nurse um, and the oncology nurse as well is definitely not only physical health, but mental health. So, of course, all the roles are massive number of roles, but they do include public health, health promotion in primary and community care settings and vaccination programs. And and they may, you know, some of the nurses may in low and middle income countries may be the only healthcare professionals in their um, areas. Some may be specialised roles and and include end of life as well. So we are the backbone of health services and we we. I think we make up nearly 60% of the healthcare personnel in all health serve in all healthcare. And and some of us are not registered, as we say in the UK, but but um some of us call we're called professionals, but many are associate professionals and they run the services very well. And and Julia in her in her second paper, you know, there's lots of us really, but there's not enough. So so Julia will tell us, I think, I hope, um, something, and she has in her paper 
paper something about the shortages of millions of nurses. We can't do it all ourselves. We can help ourselves, but we can't do it all. So the big, the secret is to work together with other healthcare professionals, academic centres, policymakers, and we have to get the policymakers and the Ministry of Health to develop and invest in nurses. So here we go for 2020 International Year of the Nurse. I hear, I hear it's been extended to 2021 in Europe by the WHO, but that's because of the pandemic as well. Oncology nurses have a crucial role in the cancer care continuum, more so now that the global cancer burden keeps increasing. So can you please give us a brief overview of the different roles of an oncology nurse? What a question that is. So, so we talk about the cancer care continuum. It's a, it's a kind of useful framework for outrolling, um, out, outlining the roles and responsibilities of the cancer nurse. But it really is um, about the priorities of cancer-related pathway, the priorities for the patient and the caregivers. So it does, it puts the, the framework or the cancer care continuum places at its core the patient. So you see in the in the diagram, we've got the figure, the patient and the caregiver um, um, are at the core of the, the, the framework as well. And and we we talk about um, basic care as well. So it's it's really it's the the framework shows the need for communication between the patient and the healthcare providers across the role. But patients and their caregivers, they don't go round in a straight line, really. And and so so, so the, the continuum of care doesn't always flow smoothly in the one direction at times. So they go across and they change from stage to stage um, in the cancer care continuum. So we talk about the the principles of care and what the WHO call people-centered care. So these are principles of care. And I talked about communication because communication is key to the to the role of the nurse, really. So, so oncology nurses routinely trans, um, transmit and explain information that's complex impossibly emotionally charged diagnosis, treatment, prognosis, etc. And, and it's not just about um, verbal communication, it's also about um, non-verbal communications. And through that um, medium, nurses convey compassion and, um, and they ease the patient's pathway, this continuum of care from diagnosis right through to survivorship and end of life care. And it's in various settings that I mentioned already for um, in in answer to the first question, community levels, hospital, um, at different hospices, different different places, different settings of care. So that's the base, and then from there, um, nurses can um, have various and different roles. And I think I think oncology nurses they're not they're not special, but they are they can be specialists as well. And so the different roles are at generalist, specialist, and advanced levels. So we have the navigator, the person that takes the patient 
patient and the caregiver through the continuum of care. So, so we have um, at the very beginning of the cancer care continuum, we talk about prevention and awareness and healthy lifestyles and um, tobacco control, early detection of cancer. And that's particularly um, important in, in low and middle income countries. And nurses lead some of these services really and engage with women. Um, so they get this screening, cervical screening in the places that women go to. Um, which is often the baby clinic or whatever. Then we have the treatment. So everybody thinks cancer care is all about treatment, but in fact, that's far from the truth. So we have the core in all the treatments, in the, the pillars of treatment, in the, in the surgery, the radiotherapy, and what we now call for chemotherapy, the systemic anti-cancer te therapy. The role of the nurses continues coordination of care, um, symptom assessment and management, psychological support, that's listening, listening to the patient and the caregiver, but not just listening, but hearing and acting on what they want, the people-centered care. And of course, we have education and research as well. I would say one, I would pick out one role, which was probably um, permeates through, through all roles of cancer nurses and that supportive care. And that's a management of um, physical and psychological symptoms and side effects um, across the continuum of care. So most patients now go into survivorship and that um, actually starts with diagnosis and often lasts a lifetime. And that's about um, a holistic rehabilitation, having had a cancer diagnosis and psychological care, nutrition, exercise, but really about rehabilitation. And sadly, some people go into the end of life care, which I'll maybe touch on later. Thank you. Um, we know it's not always easy to oversee the frailty of patients with cancer. What support do oncology nurses provide to the patients at the end of life care? Oh, gosh. So so end of life care, we see end of life care as part of palliative care. And I think although um, palliative care is um, probably an underused resource in high income countries, I think particularly in the US and maybe Julia will um, support that, it's, it's all too often unavailable in low resource countries. Um, but there are exceptions um, and we have a nice case study in paper two where nurses have been pushing the agenda in, in, in low and middle income countries. So, for example, in, 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 in an end of life care in Uganda, their lead nurse, one of the lead nurses was instrumental in facilitating nurse prescribing of, um, of morphine, really. And, and that's a wonderful case study to lead. To lead. So I'm going to talk about adults because I'm, I am an adult um, oncology nurse, but um, it's a wee bit different for, for end of life care for, for children and young adults as well. But nurses have always been the mainstay of hospice care palliative care and end of life care. And, and it's really about the principles of care that I, I keep going on about that we mention in the paper. So it's about communication, shared decision-making. This is good end of life care and end of life care. We've got to identify where that comes in the, in the, the, the continuum of care, in the, in the cancer 
trajectory and it's different for everybody. So identifying adults who may be approaching their end of life and their carers is a, is a very important role of, of um, nurses in end of life care. And then we have to assess, but not just assess, but monitor how the patients are doing and the caregivers and review that. And of course, we manage symptoms. So, so, so these are some of the, the roles of the nurse in end of life care. Um, you assess the whole holistic need of the patient. You support the carers. Information nurses are very good at information because they're at the, the bedside and it usually is the bedside information. But, but really it's about talking to the patient and the, and the family and, and preparing. So advanced care planning, and it's the advanced care planning that are the preferences of the patient. And that may change over time and it often does change as end of life gets to the last few days of life. I have to review the needs, as I say, Communication is is the golden key for everything, but 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 we have to do the service delivery as well. So, um, um, fix things and provide multi-practitioner care, end of life coordination with the services, and and um, get them to transfer between care settings if that's if that's a problem, and and also the provision of out of hours care. Most of the patients in the UK want to die at home, wish to have end of life care at home, but that often um, um, changes and um, is still the, uh, you know, the patient changes and the, 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 their preferences with the family. So really, just to sum up end of life care, it's about symptom management, patient and carer education, um, discussing the, the, the goals of care and care coordination, and for the nurse to focus on early early palliative care um, in order to get to that good end of life. So it's, it's about the experience of care for the patient and the family. So just to um, end with a wonderful case study that is in paper one for end of life care, and it's to emphasize the cultural sensitivity of nurses and being culturally sensitive to their patients and their and their caregivers. So, so the, the, the case study was entitled Embracing Culture and End of Life Care. And it was a it was a, a cultural phenomenon that that um, sometimes in in if people have distended abdomens with ascites with fluid in the belly. Um, that can be associated in in some parts of Cameroon with with witchcraft and occultism. So 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 this was um, if the patient dies with with a, a distended belly, which often patients do die with, um, um, if they have um, metastases, especially um, hepatic liver metastases, that the the family are disregarded and they're not able to be supported supported by their by their families and and also the communities so the nurses um 
um, drained the abdomen of one of the patients who had a huge distended abdomen and and, and the, the information and support they gave to the, the families about the education that it wasn't about witchcraft and the education that this sometimes happens um, when when patients are have got cancer and have got metastasis. So they educated the patient and the 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 carers and the families and then they drained the abdomen so that the patient died um, without a protruded abdomen and then that the the culture and the family and everybody were very very comfortable and content at the end and that was a, a wonderful example of of nurse intervention and culturally sensitive end-of-life care. Uh, thank you, Annie. Uh, we will hear from Julia now. Um, and we know there have been a lot of discussions around a global shortage of nurses, um, and oncology nurses are obviously no exception. Can you give us an idea of the barriers oncology nurses face? For example, how is it, so how easy is it to recruit and maintain oncology nurses? Thank you so much, Marcia. I want to thank uh, Lancet Oncology as well for the opportunity for recording this podcast and for the chance to share our findings and our thoughts about oncology nursing in this series, which is really welcome, at least within, I think, the oncology nursing community in particular. And I hope the larger oncology community will read this and have a sense of what's really going on. And that go leads me directly to your question on recruiting and maintaining an oncology nursing workforce that is adequate to the job. The problem is with the incredible increase in the number of patients being diagnosed with cancer, particularly in low and middle income countries, as we are able to better manage infectious disease, the glaring need for oncology prepared nurses is becoming a true issue for many ministries of health. I think the barriers include the need for onboard training when the nurses first begin caring for patients with cancer. And if there are not local experts in oncology nursing, it's difficult to give them training. Physicians can begin this kind of training, but there's that expertise in nursing care that's very wide and the scope of practice is so complex that it really requires uh, training from an expert nurse who's actually had the experience of caring for patients with cancer. And then again, it has a reputation, oncology nursing, I think worldwide, we could say, of being complex care, a stressful environment where many of your patients may die despite, despite your best efforts. There's a lot of technology involved, a lot of new radiation oncology equipment, new equipment for the nurse at the bedside, uh, automated pumps, managing um, artificial intelligence, even electronic medical records can be time consuming. And some nurses are not interested in that and they see that it is not something attractive to them. There's also in many uh, countries, a stigma for patients having cancer. And so it's hard to recruit nurses to work with a stigmatized population. I think despite the situation, which is challenging, Efforts have been made in low and middle income countries to mimic the current training that we see in high income countries, both in onboarding when nurses are newly hired, as well as continuing education for nurses who have maybe one, five, 10 years 
experience caring for patients with cancer because the cancer care is continually evolving. We're getting better. We have immunotherapies now. And so nurses are also challenged to stay abreast of developments within the medicine of caring, generally treating patients with cancer. So I think that if we Look at the paper, we see a case study in Pakistan where there's a South-to-South -South training program where they include nurses from Africa and other countries in the region. We look at special e-health training in places like uh, Australia where there are remote regions looking to care for patients in their home areas and other examples that we've tried to highlight to address this uh, challenge in recruitment in high-income countries. There are fellowships for nurses in nursing school to start getting exposed and have experiences on oncology units that they can then graduate from nursing school and go into uh, training in the unit where they were working before. So that's a, a partnership between a college and a hospital. And I think these are the innovative ideas that oncology nurses and nursing schools of nursing and education programs, as well as governments are looking to, to answer this call for additional and adequate numbers of oncology nursing to increase the workforce. I mean, for sure, oncology is a field that changes quite rapidly. Um, so besides those that you've already mentioned, what other strategies have been tried out to improve the situation of oncology nurses? Okay, here I think we have to discuss and point out that the first and most critical situation is environmental safety. I think nurses have to feel that they are protected, the patients are protected, the families are protected when we're using hazardous drugs. We know that we require chemotherapy for most cancers, not all, but most. And so this is handling drugs that we know have serious consequences. And so making sure that nurses have appropriate protective personal protective equipment, which has become really highlighted, right now through the COVID-19 pandemic, that they have uh, access to pharmacists who are trained in preparing chemotherapy in safe conditions for the pharmacists as well, which would mean having a biosafety cabinet to protect the person preparing the medication and to really feel that someone is looking over and monitoring the safety of the nurse in place. I think that's the first thing. Then the nurse needs adequate training, which we just discussed in how best to be safe and to have patient safety when administering chemotherapy. And then secondly, to be aware of and have the knowledge on how to follow up with the side effects that we know chemotherapy, radiation, oncology therapy, and as well as surgery, during your cancer treatment can produce. So if the nurse is prospectively knowing what are the potential problems the patient can have, that will really help prevent and diminish the side effects that we, uh, serious side effects in some cases of the treatments that we provide for the patients. In summary, I'd just like to add and point out that the International Society of Pediatric Oncology has nursing group and they have published baseline standards for pediatric oncology nursing care in low and middle income countries that may give guidance to those governments looking for standards of safety, standards of nursing education, and an idea of what it takes to begin 
treating patients with cancer from a nursing perspective. And I think that's a resource that folks may want to find helpful, may want to look at and find helpful in creating a improved situation for the oncology nurses caring for patients with cancer or generalized nurses caring for patients with cancer to help in retention and keeping them on the unit caring for these patients who need so much attention and deserve the best possible outcome, whatever that may be. Thank you. Um, So 2020 is almost at the end. So what would be your message for politicians, policymakers, and governmental and non-governmental agencies on how oncology nurses can have more active advocacy and leadership roles? Thank you for asking, Marcia. And this, I, I think my colleague Annie Young will agree. This is really the future for oncology nursing. And I think we have mentioned in the paper that the head of the Oncology Nursing Society in the United States, Brenda Nevijan, was invited to the White House during the COVID pandemic to discuss the situation with oncology nurses in the US. I think we have an example of a Cameroonian pediatric oncology nurse, Glenn Maba, who was invited to participate in the Cameroonian effort to create a national cancer control plan. And those are just two examples from two extreme ends of the income spectrum of countries to show that we have the expertise, the oncology nursing leadership, the, the, for example, at the International Society of Nurses in Cancer Care, also is another large association globally that has the expertise that we should be invited to the table to have a discussion about policy at the highest level and even into international groups like the UN or the International Council of Nursing or any NGO or global funder of anything related to cancer treatment and cancer control. This is where you need the nursing expertise because it is one idea to make a plan that sounds wonderful on paper, but it's probably going to need nurses to help execute it. And if the nurses aren't at the discussion and part of the discussion when you're creating these plans or these funding programs, you're going to lose out on their expertise on how to be the most successful at making it operationalized and to make it a success. So I think that it's really obvious choice that and building on the existing tapping into nursing oncology leadership and the very experience that they have to inform any project at the highest levels and policy making will improve your outcome. So we call upon ministries of health, governments, international agencies, funders, all the important stakeholders who are going to have to come together because the cancer burden is substantial and growing very rapidly to figure out how to diminish the suffering of these families, improve access to care, and most importantly, to achieve that sustainable development goal that addresses universal health care. Because I honestly believe without universal health care, we are not going to be able to truly address the threat of cancer to these populations. And I hear I include high income all the way down to low income countries everywhere. Well, thank you both for speaking to us today. Um, the Lancet Oncology is very excited with the series, which we think 
marks an important year that acknowledged a crucial workforce for the cancer care continuum. The two paper series can now be found online on lancetoncology.com and it will be also available in our December issue. Thank you.